right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our Bible study this morning, or our teachings this morning, on being established in His righteousness. We'll be on part five uh, this morning. And just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Okay? And, uh... We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how you can do so, you simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and go to our give page and you can give from anywhere in the world. As well as, if you'd rather send us a check, you can make all checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, on the footer of every page on our website, you can also you will find our mailing address. Okay? And so... Uh, with that too, uh, sorry, there's something there I was going to mention as well. But anyway, um, without further, without, here, excuse me. <laughs> but uh, we will have a Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock uh, on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And then again at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night before uh, the Believer's Authority. Sorry, I just feel like I just need to get my mind in gear this morning. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll kick it in here. Um, so just before I get into our teaching again, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, I'm going to be saying this the next several weeks until we launch this thing and even beyond that. But our plan is in January to launch off a new, a brand new uh, Bible Academy. And we're calling it Elios Bible Academy. Elios is uh, mercy in Greek as Charis is grace in Greek. And so it's uh, Elios uh, Bible Academy. This is going to be a, our, our heart is that this will be a free Bible uh, online e-learning Bible Academy available to anyone to everyone in the world for free. It would just require registration but we would need an email and a name and uh, then you would, and this would be free to anyone. Well our plan is to launch this in January we, uh, Sherry and I, we have been extremely busy with our jobs and whatnot, so we are having a little, some, some delays in, in the, the planning and preparation of this. But our, our goal is to launch this in January. And so, this, again, this would be a free Bible Academy. Uh, you know, we are we going to be a accredited college? No, that's not our purpose. And, uh, it's more of a discipleship program. But... We, would want, we want to give you the same type of training you would have gotten if you did go to a Bible college. We, in other words, the name of our church is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. The key word there is discipleship. We are teachers. We are pastor teachers. And our goal is to teach you, to disciple you in the Word of God. And we want to do that in a more systematic, deep discipleship. And that's what we're calling this Free Bible Academy. The academy would be uh, would have four levels. Each level would have fourteen courses. Each course would have eight lessons, and each lesson would have a lesson, a, at least a one-hour lesson plus a, a, a quiz, okay, and some uh, also some other resource material. <coughs> the only textbook that we're going to use in this Bible Academy is called the Bible, okay. That will be the only textbook that we will use. Uh, our like I said, there's going to be eight lessons of each level. Our goal is to teach on two, uh, excuse me, I said that wrong. There are eight lessons of each course, okay? And so, 
our goal is to teach two different courses a week with two different lessons from each course each week, okay? And so that's our goal. That would be a total of four different lessons from two different courses each week, okay? And so that's our goal starting in January. Hopefully we'll hear more about this and hopefully our time will allow us to, to prepare this better and to announce it better. But anyway, uh, we also want to announce too, how is this going to be funded? Because it, it takes money to do something like this. Well, our goal is and our request is to find, find sponsors. Those who would sponsor this Bible Academy by sponsoring the students. We have people, we have 14,000 people living all over the world. And some of them would love to be sponsored in this. And so it costs us pretty much about $50 a month to be able to host this one student. And we're, by faith, we're going to offer this free uh, starting in January. That's our prayer anyway, uh, as long as we can get everything uh, dialed in in time by, by January. But at same point in time, uh, that's my goal. Uh, you can somebody go to our website and find out more about what I just said. And anyway, uh, and we still have more information coming both on our website and to you in these announcements about this. Well, now, without further ado, let me go ahead and jump right on into our message this morning. We're talking about being established in His righteousness. And every pastor, I believe, and every minister has a key teaching. This is mine. And so, this is something I'm passionate about. This is something I... I, I, I want you to know that I'm going to be reteaching this for our Bible Academy that I just talked about coming in January. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I'm not just talking about righteousness, even though I am. That is, that's a, that's a, the, the core of this message. But my heart is that you would be established in it. Okay, so it's something to say that you can quote it, you can give me a definition about it and whatnot. I don't know about you, but me growing up, and I don't know where I got this because my, both my parents and my pastor said they didn't teach it this way. But at the same point in time, the way I understood it growing up, I thought righteousness was me doing right. <laughs> I thought it was a verb. But I came to the revelation that the word righteousness is used over 500 times in Scripture, and it's a noun, it's not a verb. It's who I am, not what I do. Now, I believe I'm supposed to live righteously. There is a verb form to the word. I believe I'm supposed to live righteously. I'm supposed to believe, believe I'm supposed to live holy and godly. But the Bible says in Titus that the grace of God teaches you to live godly. You have to be taught to live godly. And at the same point in time, you live righteously because you are righteous. You know, an apple tree doesn't produce apples to become an apple tree. An apple tree produces apples because it is an apple tree. We live holy. We live righteously. Because if we're in Christ, we are righteous and we are holy. There's only one thing that can make you make you holy, and that's the blood of Jesus. There's only one thing that can make you righteous, and that is the blood of Jesus. Okay, nothing else. You can't become righteous because you do right. If you can become righteous because you do right, then in one sense you're saying you don't need Jesus. And that is Antichrist. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? Antichrist, Antichristo in the Greek means instead of or against Christ. If you think you can come become holy and become saved because of what you do, then you're saying the blood of Jesus did nothing. That is wrong. The blood of Jesus made you holy, made you righteous so that you can live righteous. The definition of righteousness is right relationship with God. And we're going to be talking about that in a lot of detail this morning, about this right relationship that we have to have with God because of what Jesus did. 
If Jesus didn't do what he did, we could not have a relationship with God. We could not be saved. Okay? Now, am I saying that we are not supposed to live righteously? We can do whatever we know. If, you, if that's what you believe, or if that's what you believe we teach, you don't understand one thing about righteousness. Because you are at... You, you, when, I, when I have this discussion with those uh, who disagree with me, we both agree that we're supposed to live righteous. We both agree that we're supposed to live holy. Where we defer is how that happens. You think, or some people think, that they can live righteously on their own. No. You live righteously because you are saved, because you are redeemed, because you are, uh, because of Christ who lives in you. Paul said it this way, I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in you will live a righteous, holy life, not you. You can't do it. <laughs> Even if you could do it, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, that your unrighteousness is like filthy rags. Who wants to be a filthy rag? Okay? And so, self-righteousness is not, not what we're talking about. We're talking about true righteousness. And it says in Ephesians 4, 24, that we are created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, well, let's get to our today's lesson, being established in righteousness. The first, we, we have eight lessons, or eight, eight sessions in this teaching. The first session, we talk about the unity of the faith. Again, you can go to our archives and listen to all these messages, but we talk about how there's one message that we need to be preaching. Can we talk about other things? Yes. But righteousness is a foundational message. If the foundation is wrong, everything else you build on that foundation will also have an element of wrongness to it. Okay? It will be off. If the foundation of this house that we are standing in is wrong, then the foundation of this house, it, it will, it, the house will not stand after a period of time. Okay? It doesn't matter what we do in the house. The house will be unsafe. The house will not be good. Okay, same thing for a marriage. If the foundation's wrong, then the, the, the marriage is going to have problems. Okay, same thing for a business, same thing for uh, any, any type of organization. <coughs> we talk about the unity of faith. We're going to talk about some things with the unity of faith, and we're going to incorporate into our message this morning or later. We also talked about being established in righteousness. Now, this is a title for our entire message, but we talked about righteousness in a lot more detail in this, message, in this lesson. Lesson three was about being established in his love. But because, because we can be established in his righteousness, because we can be established in his love, the propitiation for our sins, there's something that we are supposed to behold, and that's what we talked about last week. There's something that we're supposed to see with the mind. There's something that we're supposed to see, look, and listen, because we are established in his love, because we are established in righteousness. Okay? So with that being said, we're going to go into week five this week, and we're going to be talking about subtle beguilement. Now that sounds like a strange title, especially when we're talking about righteousness. What does this have to do with righteousness? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Okay, a subtle beguilement. What's beguilement? Being deceived. And how many of you know, if you're deceived, you don't know it. You cannot be deceived and know it. That's impossible. That's an oxymoron. It's like having cold fire or dry water. You can't have it. Okay? And it's subtle. Okay? The, the devil is a deceiver. And he deceives us subtly. He doesn't come out and say, I'm the devil. I'm going to deceive you now. That's not how it works. Okay? I'm being facetious. 
but uh, I'm being facetious to, to a point, okay? And talking about this, let's first start, start talking about perfecting what is lacking in your faith. What was that? What does that have to do with anything? Well, Paul thought it was important. <coughs> so let's start out with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to pick up verse 10. I really just want to focus on the last part of this verse. But let's read the whole verse. It says, Night and day, Paul speaking, prayed exceedingly that we may see your face. Paul wanted to see the church at Thessalonica. He wanted to see them face to face. He prayed for them constantly, and he prayed uh, that he would be able to see them in person. But then uh, this last part of the verse is what I want to focus on as we launch off this lesson. And perfect what is lacking in your faith. I want to look at this from two different two aspects. First thing I want to do is look at this word perfect. What do you mean perfect what is lacking? I think. What do you mean perfect? Well, it's the same word used in 2 Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. That the man of God may be perfect. There's that word perfect again. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, what does this word perfecting mean? Okay, it mean, it mean it, first of all, it's not, he's, not, he's not condemning the church in Thessalonica. He's not condemning us. But th there is a point, if we're going to be taught, if we're going to be discipled, if we're going to be established in righteousness, there's going to be some doctrine, some things that we need to be reproved. We need to be corrected. All scripture is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God might be perfected. Okay, if you are not willing to be reproved and corrected, then you are not going to be going back to what we talked about in the earlier lessons in Hebrews. You are going to be an immature believer, because if you're not establishing the principles of righteousness, you are immature according to Scripture. You might be born again. You might be going to heaven and not hell, but you are vain according to Scripture. Okay? And we need anyone who, anyone in life, we, we, we're right now we're talking about righteousness, but even as an adult, even as a human, if you are not willing by a mentor, by a parent, by a teacher, by a pastor to be reproved and corrected from time to time, you will grow up immature. You will grow up dysfunctional. Maybe socially, maybe academically, maybe in a certain location or skill. We all need to reprove. Reprove and correction is a good thing. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about ridicule. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about reprove. Some things need to be perfected. You know, I play golf. My golf swing can be perfected. I can do better at times, okay? Complete. We want you to be complete. Paul wants us to be complete. Any parent, any mentor wants us, someone to be complete. Okay? Recently means to be restored or to be mended. It also means to be, it, it goes with the term being equipped. What does equipped mean? Equipped means to be built up. We need to be built up. We want to be, it means to put in order. <coughs> I mean, you know, sometimes some things are just not put in order right in our lives. And it means to strengthen. These are some different Definitions of the word, and some of these are definitions in themselves. Uh, but at the same point in time, the, uh, I, hopefully you get the picture of this perfecting. Am I making sense? Okay, uh, it's a perfecting. You know, 
there's certain skills, certain arts, certain talents, certain jobs, certain sports or athletes that we can get perfected. We can be restored. We can, <coughs> we can be strengthened. Some things can be put in order and equipped better. So Paul's talking about, I want to perfect, but what is, he, what is he perfecting? He's perfecting what is lacking in your faith. Now sometimes when people hear stuff like this, they get offended. You know, some people are just so easy, so they're so fragile, and the fact that you are getting offended so easily tells me you're not establishing righteousness. Because if you were establishing his love, if you were establishing righteousness, you would not be offended so easily. Why? Because you, you're you establishing it. But there's some, sometimes our faith needs to be perfected. Okay? I'm not going as far as in so much in this context, whatever is not a faith of sin, even though that's true. If your faith was working perfectly all the time, then you would be moving mountains like they're, they're hot potatoes. None of us are walking in faith perfectly all the time. I'm not saying all of us are, but there's all of us, including myself, the pastor here, have things that are lacking in my faith. And I need the Word of God, I need Paul and others to come and help me perfect what is lacking in my faith. My faith is a lot better than it used to be, but I'm still not completely there. Okay? In other words, when I talk about faith in this context, I usually, I like asking questions. And one of the questions I ask is, what are you trusting in? Because faith has to do with trust. Who, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting you? Are you trusting the government? Are you trusting your parents? Are you trusting your spouse or your kids? I'm not saying we shouldn't trust those to a certain extent. But ultimately, who, where is your trust in? Who, what are you relying on? Who are you relying on? Are you relying on God? Or are you relying on someone else? When I talk about this, I'm not, I don't want to make a whole message on faith right now. But Jeremiah 17 says this. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusted in man, and make it flesh. His arm, our strength, whose heart departed from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath, that means a shrub, in the desert, and shall not see, I'll come back to this, when good comes. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land that's not inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. <coughs> For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and is spread it out her roots, by the river. That's talking about being established. Okay? And shall not see when the heat come. But her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So there's two kinds of men here. One is blessed. The other is cursed. The cursed man is trusting in flesh. Himself or other people. And the blessed man is trusting God. So if you're trusting a man. You're cursed. If you're trusting in God, you're blessed. That's pretty blunt, okay? But the cursed man, when I teach this, both men have a blind spot, okay? The, the cursed man doesn't see the good when it comes. The good is coming. The good is coming to both the cursed man and the blessed man, but the cursed man doesn't see it. Why doesn't he see it? Because he's focused on man. He's focused on flesh, whether himself or other people. 
If the good is coming, the good is there. Okay? God is, God is good, and God is always there. He is not holding back. But you will miss it because you're focused. And that's why you're cursed. That's one of the reasons you're major reasons why you're cursed. Because you, you don't see the good when it comes. All you see is everything that's wrong. All you see is everything that's missing. Okay? But the blessed man also has a blind spot. He shall not see when the heat comes. He's not careful in the air drought. The drought is there. The blessed man is experiencing the same drought as the cursed man. But he's not affected by the drought because he's not focused on the what he's not focused on the heat. He's not focused on the drought. He's focused on God. That makes sense? The good is coming to both, and the drought is coming to both. But the Blessed man is not affected by the drought. I'm not affected by COVID. I'm not affected by the things that are going on in this world. I'm not affected on the things that are going on in the world, in our country. Why? Because my trust is in my God. I'm established in righteousness. Okay? I'm rooted by the river of God. By the plant, I'm planted in by God. And every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And so, anyway, I can preach on this for, for hours. Let's, talk, let's, switch the, let's switch the subject a little bit. Let's talk about godly jealousy. Paul is coming to perfect that which is lacking in our faith. We'll talk about subtle beguilement and how it has to do with righteousness. Okay? So I'm going to spend a little bit of time here in 2 Corinthians 11. I ended last week with this reference, and I want to pick it up here. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 4. It says, for, Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I thought jealousy was wrong. Well, it is most of the time, but there is a godly jealousy. We'll get to that in just a moment. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version of Christ. But I fear. I thought fear was wrong. But Paul did, there's some things Paul did fear. He said, that somehow, as the serpent deceived me by his craftiness, so your mind, does that subtlety, so your mind may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which we have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. We're going to come back to some of these verses in just a moment. Let's go back to verse 2. For I'm jealous, jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Again, I thought jealousy was wrong. But there is a godly jealousy. Why is Paul jealous for us, the church of God, the church of Christ? Why is he jealous? Because, first of all, he's betrothed us to one husband. We are espoused to one husband. Okay? I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this uh, here at the beginning. See, we're talking about a relationship with God, a marriage with God, being one flesh with God, righteousness is a right relationship with God. But we're talking about relationship with God. We're not talking about religion. The one way I, I compare a relationship with God and a religion, a religion is like a one-night stand. A relationship with God is a marriage. There's a difference between a one-night stand, which would be wrong, fornication, and a relationship with God that's chaste, 
that's pure, that's godly, that is a right relationship with God. Some of us only want to write one night stand. What does that look like? Well, so it can come across in a lot of different ways. Okay, but they get they hear a message, they get saved, and then they live the rest of their life doing their own thing. There's no relationship. They had a one night stand. They had a moment, but that's all it was. It was just a fling. I'm not trying to be crude, but it was just a fling, just like a one night stand would be. It was just in the heat of the moment type of thing. But there was there's no root, there's no establishment, there's no relationship. See, we're talking about a relationship with God. And God, Paul is jealous with us with a godly jealousy because he has espoused us to one husband. Okay, that's what it says here. Okay, let's, take, let's go to Romans 7 real quick. Romans 7 says this. <coughs> or do you not know, brethren, he's talking to the church, anytime he uses brethren, because the world is not our brethren. Okay, it can be. Okay. For I speak to those who know the law. He's talking to those who, again, are religious and the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman, <coughs> excuse me, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. This is all about marriage and the Levitical law, okay? So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no, no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Okay, this is where he can... And teaching. He was using everything he just taught as an allergy, analogy of what he's getting to. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. If you are in Christ, you are dead to the law. Okay? Through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To who? To him. To Jesus. To God. Who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. That's why it's called the ministry of condemnation, or one of the aspects. But now, say but now, when's now, now, now's now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but now, now we have, we have past tense, been delivered from the law. Why can we die to the law? Did we not die to the law? We're dead to the law. But now we have been delivered from the law. We were espoused, we were married to the law. But now the law, now that we're dead to the law, excuse me, we're dead to the law, we are free to mar be married to Christ. I know this is confusing some people, that's why I'm trying to take some time here. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should be in the newness of the spirit and not in the fullness of the letter. There's a lot of deep stuff going on right here. And I don't have time to expect, unpack all of this because my teaching is not with Romans 7 right now. Okay? We're talking about being a spouse to one husband. Let me try to break some of this down for us. We are free from the law. 
Why? Because we died in Christ. Am I making sense? Okay? We are spouse to Christ. We are free from the law, and we are spouse to Christ. Why? Because we are dead to sin. And we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, in the last several messages, I've talked about how we are crucified with Christ. It says in, in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It says in Romans 6, 7, 6 verse 11, reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4, and we covered all these verses so far that I'm listening to. We, we've talked about how we are to put off the old man, which means to cut off the old man, and put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We talk about how the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion that if one died, for, one died for all, then all died. We talked about that. We also talked about how we are to, to be, how he who knew no sin became sin for us. When Jesus became sin for us, what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. He took our sin. He took our penalty too, which meant he had to die. We were supposed to die. Because of sin. But Jesus took our sin and he died for us. So that we can live. Okay? We also talked about from 2 Corinthians 3 how the veil, which is specifically talking about the law, and we, we pointed that out in very detail weeks before, the veil is taken away of Christ. If the veil, the veil represents the law is taken away, we are free from the law. You ever notice in marriages that there's a veil? And what happens when they get married? They remove the veil and they kiss the bride. We were held back by the law, our tutor. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. But because Jesus became our sin, we are not, and we, we are dead to the law. We are free from the law and we are married to Christ. But some of us, in our own minds, because we don't know this, we're not establishing it, we're still trying to be. We're trying to become a spouse of Christ by what we do instead of receiving what he's done and be a spouse of Christ. Some of us, in our own minds, in our own religion, we are still married to the law. And so, by being married to Christ, you become adulterous in one sense. You are married to two people. To two. No, you are free from the law and you're married to Christ. Now, is the law bad? No, we're going to get into all that. The law is holy. What made the law holy? The blood of Jesus. But the danger of the law is this. The law is good. The law is holy. But the danger of the law is this. You think by keeping the law, you become holy. That's the danger. Because that is not the gospel. That is not even true. You can't. See, we are free from the law. And we are espoused to Christ. We are free from the law. The veil has been removed. And we are we need to now, because the veil has been removed, what does the veil do? It covers our face. It covers our eyes. Because the veil is removed, the law is removed, we need to behold who we are. That's what we talked about last week. Okay? Let's go back. Let's go to Corinthians 5.14. One of the verses I just listed a minute ago. For the love of God compels us because we judge this, that if one, Jesus died for all, then all die. Well, 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to flesh, even though we have known Christ according to flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if we want in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're not married to old things, the law. You're married to Christ. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing our trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleased through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, that we might be born of the righteousness of God in him. We're going to look at a verse here, but we're going to come back to it too. This is Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he may sanctify and cleanse her. Who's doing all the work? He is. The husband, Jesus, Christ, is gave himself for her. She did not give himself, herself for him. He gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. She didn't cleanse herself. She didn't sanctify herself. He did it. With the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. A chaste virgin. Because that's one of the words used in, in, uh, in Corinthians, which we'll go back to. Paul is jealous with us, with a godly jealousy, because he espouses to, to, to Christ as a chaste virgin. We, Christ, God, Christ, had not only gave himself for her, he, did not, he sanctified and cleansed her, that he might present her to himself. Jesus did all the work. And if you think you can make yourself a glorious church without Jesus, you are dead wrong. I am all about being a glorious church. I am all about being a chaste virgin. I am all about holiness and righteousness. But He, Jesus, is the one who sanctified you, cleansed you, washed you, and presented you to himself. And if you hear another gospel, another message that says you need to do it, then you have heard the wrong message. It's not you doing it, it's him doing it, but the end result is you are righteous. But I want you to experience true righteousness, not self-righteousness, which is a filthy rag. Okay? What's a filthy rag anyway? According to the Hebrew, a filthy rag is a filament cloth. And I'm not trying to be gross, but that's gross. Okay? And so, um, we want you to be a chaste virgin. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do we want you to walk in holiness? Do we want you to be holy? Yes! But you don't do it by your performance. You do it because he did it. And if you think you can do it without him, then you are dead one. That is a one-night stand. That is religion. 
that is death, that is bondage, that is Hagar, that is the veil, that is bondage, that is not Jesus Christ. That is not the gospel of Christ. Okay? Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. But no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Okay? See, this whole marriage, marriage is holy. Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 13 talks about how the marriage bed is holy. Okay? And even this phrase, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh. That is beautiful. And we use that in marriage and it's, it's, it's right to do that. But really, this, the marriage, is really in one sense is an allegory of what this relationship is like. You know, a lot of people say the first relationship God created in, in Genesis 1 was marriage. No, that was the second relationship. The first relationship he created was between man and God. The second one was marriage. And marriage, is, in many ways, is, is holy in and of itself. But at the same point in time, marriage is an allegory of our relationship to Christ. When, when the world attacks marriage, the sanctity of marriage, they're actually, in one sense, attacking the sanctity between our relationship with God. Because marriage is an allegory of what this relationship is like. So when, when uh, Jesus makes this statement, so then they are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. That, that's true about marriage. And if that's true about marriage, then it's also about Christ and the church. When God has joined together, let no man separate. Same thing in Mark 10. Therefore when God has joined together, let no man separate. It's the same connotation. It can't be true for one and not the other. If Paul says, I, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ in the church. Okay. Anyway, let's move forward. Let's go to Galatians real quick. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Do you not, do you not hear what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. You know, this was revolutionary to me back in 2009. I just didn't connect with Abraham to two. I always connect with Isaac. I always forgot about Ishmael. <coughs> and Ishmael is religion. Ishmael is Abraham and Sarah trying to do it, not God doing it. Okay? But Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman, which, and the other by a free woman. Okay? But he who was of the bondwoman, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, not according to God. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. This, these two marriages, these two women, these two sons, is symbolic. You can't get more clear than that. Okay? But these, these are the two covenants. They're not only symbolic, but we're talking about two different covenants here. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, which represents the law. Because that's what he's talking about. He says, do you not hear what the law says? He's talking about the law. Hagar represents the law. Mount Sinai represents the law. Okay? It's bondage. 
and gives birth to bondage. Okay? But this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free. Those Jeru you know, in Revelation chapter 20, I think it is, when, when the angel says to John in the book of Revelation, let me show you the bride of Christ. He says that. And the very next thing you do, you see Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem. We are the bride of Christ. We are also known as Jerusalem, to which now is and is embodied with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, who do not bear, break forth and shout, you, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than the, she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Just as Isaac was a children of promise, so are we a children of promise. Okay? But as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so is now. There's a whole teaching I can get into. But the same way that Ishmael is persecuting Isaac, it's happening now. Most of the persecution that happens in the world is not from the world persecuting the church. It's from the religious, the, the, the religion persecuting the Isaacs. Okay, it's happening even now. Verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman. Who's the bondwoman? Hagar. What does Hagar represent? Another covenant. The law. And her son. For the son of the bondwoman <coughs> shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, he, again, he's talking to the church. We are not children of the bondwoman. We're not children of the law. But of the free. Okay? We are sons of the free woman. We are sons of of promise. I'm going to take what I've shared in the last few minutes and we're going to talk about being present as a chaste virgin. Okay? Where did I get this phrase from? Our opening verse. For I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. We just talked about that. And we're going to take what we talked about into that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I'm going to go back to a verse that we just used. When we talk about how Paul says in Ephesians 5, how Christ gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her. That Christ has sanctified us. Christ has cleansed us. That he may present us, her, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, that we, should be holy and without blemish. Christ had presented us to himself as a glorious church. That is a chaste virgin. How do you become how do you be a chaste virgin? Because of what Jesus did. Because self-righteousness is like filthy rags. There's something about filthy rag and chaste that are not synonymous. Okay? Until um, Christ has presented us to himself a glorious church. Because this is true. Going back real quick, I know I'm going back. Because Christ has sanctified us, because Christ has cleansed us, 
because Christ has presented us to himself a glorious church? This is what we need to behold. This is what we need to see and look at and be established in. Okay? See, Christ has presented us to himself a glorious bride. And we're, we're switching subjects a little bit here. We're talking about beholding his glory. Well, we are, Christ has presented us to himself a glorious bride. Christ in us the hope of glory. Christ, we are a glorious church. We don't have any glory in ourselves, but the only reason we have glory is because we are reflecting his glory. Am I making sense? We talked about this a few weeks ago when we said, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I'm going to go backwards here. We're talking about beholding his glory. Christ has made us a glorious bride, a glorious church. And we, now that we, what's the bell face? A bell face of the law. Now that the law has been removed, and we are spouse to Christ, now that we are free to be a spouse to Christ because of verse 17, I don't have it on the screen, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are free. We're not free to sin. We are free to be married to Christ. With an unbelt faith, we are beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And when we are beholding His glory, not our glory, in the mirror, <coughs> we will be transformed like a caterpillar to a butterfly into what image? The same image. What image? What image is that? The same image that we are beholding. The same image that we're beholding, the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord is also the righteousness of God. Because in context, verses 7 to 9, I'm going to go there right now. The Spirit and righteousness are synonymous. In context, we're verse 18, going fast forwarding, 11 verses. But the ministry of death, that's the law. How do I know it's law? Because it was written and engraved on stones. There's only one, there's only one uh, covenant that was engraved on stones. That's the law. It, but it was glorious. I'm not saying it wasn't glorious. Paul says it was glorious. He said the children of Israel could not look steadily in the face of Moses. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. There was glory in the law. I'm not saying it wasn't, but it was a passing glory. Okay? Verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the minute, if the ministry of the condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, synonymous, exceeds much more glory. I want all the glory I get. I want the much more glorious. I want the much more glory. We are to behold his glory in the mirror. What glory is that? The glory of his spirit. The glory of righteousness. What glory are we supposed to behold? The glory of his spirit in the mirror. The glory of his righteousness in the mirror. Christ has presented us to himself a glorious church, 
a glorious bride. See, if we go backwards to Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image. Was God not glorious? According to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Those were the only two genders. Okay? Confusing was confusing. Okay? But we take this into for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made us glorious in his own image and likeness. Okay? That's how he created us. Adam, through the fall, destroyed that image. Because when man sinned through Adam, man died. Man didn't have a relationship with God. Man became a spouse to the law. Married to the law. Okay? Man became alienated from the life of God. Alienated, man became dead. That's why Christ, who didn't know sin, he wasn't born in sin. Adam, he, Adam is the first Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. So the second Adam. The male carries the seed, not the mother. Okay? How is, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. You can even see in the background, we have Christmas decorations out. Uh, Mary, where Mary, Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us. Our Messiah came. And how did G, it was in this, we celebrate how Mary got the message from Angel Gabriel. It says, you should bear a son, his name will be Jesus. And Mary had a very honest question. How can I be pregnant if I haven't been have relations with a man? How is that going to happen? Mary understood understood about the, the, the birds and the bees. And there had been no birds and bees yet. So how, how, how was that going to happen? Okay? And Gabriel said, The Holy Spirit will conceive in your womb, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, a person, a male. And he, for he made him, Jesus, who not only had him, he did not, not only did he not commit a sin, but he knew no sin. There was no sin in his DNA. His seed was not corrupted. All mankind's seed was corrupted because of Adam. But Jesus was a whole new prototype, with a whole new seed. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. We are born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. When, when Mary said those words, and let it be according to your word. I believe the moment she said, let it be unto me according to your word. Because the word is a seed. The word of God is a seed. Let it be unto me according to you. I believe in that moment, in that instance, Jesus was conceived in her womb. You and I, when we heard the gospel preached, and we heard it, and we were cut to the heart, and we repented, and believed on Jesus, and we basically, we might not use the same words as Mary, but we said, let it be unto me according to your word. We heard the word of the gospel. We believed it. We received it. And we said, let it be unto me. If 
All you said I have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, I will be saved. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, I am born and saved and born again. I believe in the answers, that whole transaction. We said, let it be unto me according to your word. And that instant, we were born again. We did not have Jesus in the womb like Mary did, but we were born again in that instance. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. The righteous of God is the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. And we need to behold who we are. We were made in the image of God. We lost that image through sin. But that's why Jesus became our sin, crucified our sin. And we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Not born of the old man. Not born. We have put off the old man, Adam, and we put on the new man, Jesus Christ, who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. <coughs> in other words, I believe what Jesus did, he restored this relationship. And this relationship is even better than it was here. Revelation 19 says it this way. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his Jesus' wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. We're talking about being established in righteousness. Specifically, we're talking about beguile, uh, subtle beguilement. We're going to get to that a little bit more in just a minute. But in, in context, we're talking about being a chaste virgin. And this fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. It's pure. It's chaste. It's holy. Our righteousness is like fine linen. Paul says it this way in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's no shame in something that's chaste. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. We're talking about perfecting that which is lacking in our faith. But the gospel reveals this righteousness so that from faith to faith we can live. We're talking about perfecting what is lacking in our faith. And some of us are not living by faith because we do not have the right revelation of the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God that we from faith to faith can live by faith. Christ has presented us to himself. What does faith come from? The word of God. And if you have the wrong word, if you heard the wrong gospel, if you heard the wrong message, then your faith is going to be in the wrong thing, not in Jesus. But Christ has presented us to himself a glorious church, a glorious bride. Christ has presented us as the righteousness of God in him. Okay, we were created originally in his likeness, in his image. But Eve was beguiled. That's how mankind was made. When God made man, it said in, in Genesis 1, I think it's verse 31, God said that man, it was very good. It was good. Okay, God told man, God told the world, I what I made was good. There was no 
bad in it. There was no God did not make sin. God did not make death. God did not make anything wrong. God didn't make anything ugly. God didn't make anything impure. God didn't make anything that's not chaste. God made it good. Okay? But Eve was beguiled. God said, I've made man in my image, in my likeness. I, we made man in our image, in our likeness. But Eve was beguiled. How was Eve beguiled? See, let's, 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 let's go here. Real quick, let's go back to our main passage here. For I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We covered that. Verse 3. But I fear that somehow as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, by his subtlety, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. Your minds can be corrupted. He's talking to the church. Okay? But the same way that Eve was deceived, the same way that Eve's mind was corrupted, our minds can be corrupted. That is why Paul is jealous. That is why Paul is fearing. See, Satan's number one plot is to beguile the bride of the last Adam the same way he beguiled the bride of the first Adam. I want to say this again. Satan's number one plot is to beguile the bride of the, of the last Adam, in the same way he beguiled the bride of the first Adam. Was Eve not the bride of Adam? And are we not the bride of Christ, the last Adam? The same way that Satan beguiled Eve is the same way that Satan wants to beguile us. How? By corrupting our minds. Okay? From 2 Corinthians 11, 3, he says, But I fear that somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, subtlety, he's subtle. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay? See, when you're deceived, you don't know it. And Satan's going to be very crafty to be our mind. Satan's plot is to blind our minds. But I'm not, see, the law is scripture. The law is the word of God. The law is holy. The law is contained in here. But Satan will use the veil of the law, scripture, to corrupt our minds. I don't have, I don't have it on the screen here. And so that, this is where some people are like, how can that be? Because he's subtle. He, he's always, he always, had, even with Jesus, he tempted Jesus, he quoted scripture. He twisted the scripture. He took it out of context. He twisted, even with Eve, he twisted scripture. Satan can quote scripture. But if you are not established in righteousness, he can corrupt your mind. If you're not establishing it, you can be deceived. See, 2 Corinthians 3 and 14, we talked about this seven weeks ago. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remained <coughs> unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the law, is what blinded people's minds. The, but because the veil was taken away in Christ, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and with the Spirit, the Lord is liberty. 
He goes on to say, just a few verses later, verse 3, or chapter 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The gospel what reveals the righteousness of God. So if the gospel is veiled, the righteousness of God is also veiled. Because that's what the gospel reveals. Not only is the gospel veiled, but what the gospel is revealing is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. Whose minds? The God of this age, that's lower G, that's talking about Satan, not God. Not God. Lower G. The God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory, and there's the word glory of Christ, who is the image of God, to shine on them. The, the gospel is not an it. The gospel is a who. Okay? The gospel is a who. I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss right now. The gospel is a who. Whose minds the God of the age has blinded. The, the, Satan will blind people's minds using the veil of the old, old covenant. Okay? But we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Let's go to Romans 3 real quick. We're going to spend more time here in the weeks to come. I've been saying that. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. i got to spend more time on this verse in the, in the future weeks. But keep in mind, no flesh can be justified by the law, by what they do. Okay? Because what does the law do? The law is the knowledge of sin. But Romans 1, 16, now this is Romans 3, Romans 1, 16, 17, and 17, therein the right of God is revealed. The gospel reveals the, your righteousness, but the law reveals your sin. Let me say this again. The law reveals your sin, but the gospel reveals your righteousness. The law is the ministry of condemnation and death, but, but the gospel is the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation. Are you following me? The, the law will never reveal what's right with you. The law will always reveal what's wrong with you without Jesus. I want to say that again. The law will never reveal what's right with you. The law will always reveal what's wrong with you without Jesus. But the gospel will not reveal what's wrong with you. The gospel will reveal what's right with you because of Jesus. Okay? What did, what did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? Repent and let every one of you be baptized, be immersed in, be espoused to the name of Jesus. That's what we've been talking about this morning. For the remission of your sins. How can, you can't be baptized into the name of Jesus if you still have sin. But he's made you a chaste virgin. He has cleansed you. He has sanctified you. He has presented you to himself a glorious church, a glorious bride. Repent. Change your mind. Your minds are corrupted. Your minds have been, your minds have been covered with a veil. Now repent. Change your mind. Remove the veil. Repent. Metatonia means re change your mind. Yes, we want to change of action. 
But you can't have a change of action until you change your mind. You can't have the fruit of repentance. You can't have the fruit of righteousness. You can't have the fruit of holiness until you change the direction you go. If all you do is stop sinning, but you don't turn to Jesus, that is not repentance. Repentance is turning to Jesus. And by, by turning to Jesus, you're turning from sin. Let's just say this TV screen is Jesus. Let's say my, my computer monitor here is sin. When I turn to Jesus, I'm turning from sin. If all I do is turn from sin, but I don't turn to Jesus, I could be turning to this direction. I could be turning to this direction, but I'm not turning to Jesus. And if, I, if I'm not turning to Jesus, I'm going to go back into sin. There's only one thing that's going to keep me from sinning, and that is turning to Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 How do you stop sinning? By putting on Jesus. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized, expelled, emerge into Jesus. But when you are when you are espoused into a man, do you not change your name? You now be, your surname is now the surname of the husband. Now, repent, be baptized into the name of Jesus for for the remission of your sins. How were your sins remitted? Because of Jesus. You didn't do anything. He cleansed and sanctified you. He made you a glorious bride. He did the work. He who knew no sin became sin that you could become the righteousness of God. Now repent. Change your mind. You are no longer bound to the law. You are no longer bound to sin. You are no longer bound to the bondwoman. You are now free. You are free to be baptized. You are free to be espoused to Jesus for the remission of your sins. I believe, I've said this before, <coughs> I had this on the screen a couple weeks ago. I believe true repentance is an awareness of the rawness of living without Christ and a desire to live a vital relationship with God as he has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus. I want to read it again. I believe true repentance is an awareness of the rawness of living without Christ and a desire to live a vital relationship with God as he has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. This, everything I'm trying to say, goes with Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's talking to the church, by the mercies of God, by his mercies, not his wrath, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and self to God, which is reasonable service, and, you, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your minds have been corrupted. But because of his mercies, you can present your bodies a living sacrifice. Without Jesus, you can't present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's a dead sacrifice. Because without Jesus, you are dead. You're dead. The only reason you're living is because of Jesus. I reckon myself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Holy. Only the only one thing that can make you holy. And that is Jesus. There's only one thing that can make you acceptable to God, and that is Jesus, which is your reasonable service. But I beseech that by the mercies of God, it's by his mercy on the cross that you can present your body, the living sacrifice, holy stuff to God, which is reasonable service, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed 
the same word that was used in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. We, when we behold his glory in the mirror, we'll be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We have been transformed by the renewing of our minds that were corrupted by the law, by another gospel. Lord G. Okay. Let's go back to our text. For I am jealous for, for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear that somehow, as a servant, deceived he by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. But if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel, Lord G, which is you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Let's go to Galatians here real quick. We're running out of time. Says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, Lord G, which is not another, but that, are, that, that there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be a curse. In Galatians 3, 1, it says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should be, not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you become saved because of what you did? Did you were you such a good chicken that you got saved because of what you did? Or were you saved because you believed the gospel and what Jesus did? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit are now being perfected by the flesh. The way a lot of us have taught it is that we are saved by his grace, but now that we're saved by his grace, we have to now perform. The same way we see Christ, the same way we walk in him. We think that now that we have we, we think that we maintain our salvation in a different way than we received in the first place. That is foolish. That is being bewitched. That is a curse. Okay? In other words, Paul's harshest message to the church was to those who tarnish the gospel. What do you mean tarnish? Because he said, if anyone preaches any other Jesus gospel to you, then what you have received... Um, Sorry, I had it here. Oh, uh, who want to pervert the gospel of Christ? They don't. They might not have. They might not be doing those with malice. They might not be doing this in spite. But they are tarnishing the gospel. And his harshest message is to religious people, to Ishmaels, who are tarnishing the gospel. And his, his jealousy, his outrage. If I can put it that way, is those who are bearing with it. They're bearing with this wrong message. Because he says, For if, if he who comes preaches another Jesus and we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul fought against anyone putting up with a false gospel. That's why he says, I pray night and day, seeing that I may see you face to face and perfect what is lacking 
in your faith. Where I started from this morning. Faith comes from the true gospel. We are supposed to be living from faith to faith. Because the just and righteous should live by his faith. But we can't live. The word just and the word righteous is the same Greek word. We can't live. The just can't live by faith. If the, if, <coughs> if the church hasn't believed the gospel that reveals that we're righteous. If, the, if we don't believe the gospel that makes us just and righteous, how are we going to live by something that we don't even have yet? But nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, but the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. See, unity is not tolerance. We talked about this in lesson one several weeks ago. Unity is not coping with false doctrine. Unity, and I quoted this from Andrew Womack, love is a bond of unit perfection that holds us together. We are not bonded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. And that's by Andrew Womack. <coughs> I like this. We shared on this uh, several weeks ago. But unity, see, unity is not coexisting. Unity is not tolerance of false doctrine. We, but we must have a common foundation to have true unity. Paul is telling the church, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bond, women, the law, but the free. As I'm wrapping this up today, and I'm just about out of time, whatever, as you receive Christ. In Colossians 2, 6-7, Paul says, as, that's a key word, as, as ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ? Did you receive Christ because you were keeping the law perfectly? Because you were living holy? You were living righteous? If you were living holy and righteous, then why do you need Jesus anyway? But how did you receive Jesus? You heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and were saved. It's not, you, do not, you were not saved because you were doing anything good. You were, were saved because you heard the gospel, believed it, and received Jesus. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed to you crucified? This only why I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are now being perfected by the flesh? See, Paul. Paul said in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That's how you got saved. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is how you got saved. Okay? As you have therefore received Christ, so walk in him. What does this word walk look like? Walk means to abide. Okay? I want to bring that out here. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It means abide. Abide in him. How did you get planted in him to begin with? You became born again. You became engrafted into Christ. It wasn't because of your goodness. It was because of his goodness. But even if you didn't know that this word walk also means abide, there's a colon. In the King James Version, there's a colon. It explains what this phrase, walk in him, looks like. Being rooted and built up in him. 
So let me read it together. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Paul's coming to perfect that which is lacking in the faith. We walk in him by being established in the faith. We're talking about being established in righteousness. As you have been taught, we have to be taught this. We have to be discipled to be established in the faith. We have to be taught to walk in Him. When you were a child, when you were born, did you just pop out of the womb and start walking? Or did you have to learn to walk? See, a child learns to sit in His presence before they learn to walk before Him. You have to learn to sit. You have to learn to crawl. And then you learn to walk. And when you walk, you've got to fall down a few times. Okay? But, but you are being rooted. And you're being built up in Him, establishing the faith. That was walking Him. Any relationship. Our marriage, when we first started dating, we started, getting, we started rooting and building up our relationship, our marriage. And established in this relationship. 22 years later, almost 22, we're more established than we were 22 years ago. <laughs> okay? And we had to teach some things. We had to learn some things. We had to learn how to get along. We had to learn some things, okay? Um, anyway. But this whole concept about being rooted and built up, abiding, walking in Him, goes with John 15. I'm going to read this back, and I'm already over time. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He proves that, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. He's not talking about getting clean. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of its own unless it abides in the vine. <coughs> Excuse me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast down the branches and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This passage is full of the word abide. But I want to, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go backwards. It says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in me. Just as I kept my Father's commandments, abide in him. What does that mean? That, that, that sounds like law again. Commandments. I have to abide in him. David, you just used the whole message talking about, how we are free from the laws. And now you bring up the word commandments again. Well, I'm glad you asked because John, John, who wrote the book of John, also wrote 1 John. Okay? And he says, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall reassure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. That's a good thing. Okay? And whatever we ask, we receive from him. He just talked about that in John 15. Because we keep his commandments and do those things which are in sight. You just talked about that. Okay? Verse 23. And this is the commandment, not the law, but that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandments. Verse 24. <coughs> now he who keeps his commandments 
abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he hath given us. The word spirit can also be translated righteousness. We've established that already in this teaching. This, everything he's saying this, and this, again to clarify his commandment, is not the Ten Commandments, it's not the law, it's believing on the name of Jesus and loving one another as he gave his commandment. Okay? And we keep this, he then change subjects here. And now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and him, and he in him. Okay? This is the same language he was using in John 15. Okay? As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him, abide in him, be rooted and built up, believing in his name, loving one another. We're part of the vine. But how many of you know you're not the only one on the vine? We are the whole body of Christ on the same mind. Okay? No one died and made you king or queen. Jesus is the vine. God is king. He's the vine. And the father is the vine dresser. Now you, you are not the vine dresser. That means you do not have permission to cut anybody off. You are not the vine dresser. Okay? God did not get, one of the gifts of the spirit is not a pair of shears. Okay? We are supposed to be bound together in love. That's talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 14 to 16. Walking in him is being established in him. That's one thing I'm trying to make right here. Abiding in him is being established in him. Abiding in him is being established in his love. Things we've been talking about in this whole series. If we're talking about being established in righteousness. Being established in his love, which is our propitiation we talked about in lesson 3 is being established in his righteousness. Christ becomes of no effect. Okay? See, Galatians 5, 4 says, You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. If you... The word justified and the word righteousness are the same word in the Greek. So if you try to become righteous or justified by the law, you are estranged from Christ. You have fallen from grace. King James says it this way, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law. You can't be justified by the law, but your minds can be corrupted that you are, that you think you can, that you deceive, that you can, you, you can become right. Satan loves it when you think that you can become righteous and justified by keeping the law. That's a veil. It's the ministry of death. It's the ministry of condemnation. It is not the ministry of the Spirit. It is not the ministry of righteousness. Because if you are trying to be justified by what you do instead of what Jesus did, Christ has become no effect to you. You have fallen from grace. That's strong language. But Paul is being very strong with the Galatians because they're having a hard time with this like many Christians do today. You have become a strength of Christ. You who attempt, you who attempt, it's an attempt, it doesn't work, but you attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. See, Christ had effect. But Christ has become of no effect. Okay? Following from grace is a corrupted mind that, justi that justifies itself by the law. Okay? See, the just is supposed to live by his faith. The faith that is rebuilt to them by the gospel that rebuilt his righteousness. I'm going through this a little faster, and I'm way over time now. Well, see, whatever is not a faith is sin. And if you're putting faith in what you do, you are a cursed man, according to Jeremiah 17. You are not a blessed man. 
who puts his faith in God. But whatever is not of faith is sin. Because our faith needs to be Jesus. How do we become saved? Because we have the righteousness of God by faith. We were declared righteous by faith. You were not declared righteous by your performance. Christ has become no effect to you, whosoever you are justified by the law. See, the fall, man was created good. In God's image, in God's likeness. Eve was deceived. What was the deception? The, the enemy came to Eve, and she said, Did God really say? And then he said, you will, not be, you will not die. You will become like God. God told mankind, Adam and Eve, that he would, God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. If you are in God's own image and likeness, you are already like God. But Satan says, you will become like God if you eat this fruit. That's an Ishmael. The deception was, that you will become like God based on what you do instead of believing what God said. God, did God really say? Satan not only twisted what God said, but Eve believed. Do <coughs> you see the religion and the relationship here? God said they were good. God said they were in his image and likeness. But the deception was that if you, be, you will become like God if you eat this fruit. They were already like God. They, the deception was they disbelieved what God said, and they didn't take it by faith, which is sin, and they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not supposed to do. Okay? See, man fell from grace disbelieving who God said he was, and instead tried to become like God on his own. That's self-righteousness. That's sin. That's the fall. And that's why God, Paul is jealous with us with a godly jealousy. Because he fears that we would believe the same message. That we think by keeping the law and keep, taking the fruit, that we would become like God. By, be, by being righteous and holy on your own effort, that you'll become like God instead of believing what he did for us on the cross. Satan loves that. Because that's the same thing he did in the garden. The elements are changed, but the principles are still the same. Okay? That's the beguiling. That's the it's subtle. Because he's going to use scripture. He's going to say, keep the commandments. Now, I'm not nowhere saying don't keep the commandments. I still believe that you need to have one God. God. I still believe you shouldn't murder. I still believe you shouldn't kill and adultery and steal and bear false witness. And so but by doing that, you don't become holy. You only become holy because of what God did through the garden. I mean, what God did through the cross. Okay? I still believe the commandments are holy and good, but they don't make you holy and good. Only God can make you holy and good. You need to believe the gospel. You need to believe what God said. And then go and do likewise. Not because... By doing likewise, you're going to become holy and good. By doing likewise, you're going to be who you are. You're going to act like who you are. You're going to... I hope we're making sense. See, God's already said he made him in his likeness. Man was created good. Eve was deceived. Man fell from grace to try to become good on his own. Adam's seed was cursed. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Okay? 
For Christ did not send me to baptize this is Paul preaching, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, that the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved as a power of God. See, the gospel has no effect on those who think it's foolish. But flesh and blood cannot be justified. And I'm wrapping up with this. I know I've said that a couple times. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, we're going to come back here and look at this a lot more in detail in future weeks. Insight. For by the law is the knowledge of God, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. We're going to look at this a lot more detail uh, starting next week. Even the right of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation of His blood through the faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, excuse me. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justify our faith in Jesus. Let's kind of skip through some of this. Then we're going to come back to a lot of this next week. I'm, I'm really out of time right now. Um, so we'll come back to this later next week. Um, but we're going to be talking about subtle beguilement. I didn't cut really even off. We're going to inspect God next week. Next week we're going to talk about what I call the testimony of Scripture. And we're going to go back to Romans 3 and some matter of scriptures and bring it out. And some of the, the verses I skipped over there at the end, I'm going to be bringing those back so you haven't missed anything. Okay, so we're out of time. I keep going over on all these messages. about 15 minutes right now. Over. But anyways, thank you for your patience. I hope you're getting something out of this and being established in this right there. So we're not, we're only, we're just a little bit past the halfway mark on the series. we got still three more lessons to go. So anyway, God bless you guys. And we will see you tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. God bless you.